I first met Dr. Bill Scalia uh, during my first year of seminary in 2013. A hyperactive doctor of literature, this man became our favorite professor very quickly. In a 90-minute class, the first 30 minutes were always spent letting us just complain about seminary life, complain about other professors, other students, anything really. And I'm not sure if he had crafted that after years of dealing with angsty seminarians or if he himself was just a large child who could not focus for 90 minutes. But I remember during one of his classes, he asked us a question that has stuck with me for the last 10 years. He said, when you read to yourself, whose voice do you hear reading the text? Is it your own or someone else's? Now, it's an interesting question, as I said, that I've probably spent way too much time thinking about over the last 10 years. But I will tell you about this wonderful man, Dr. Bill Scalia, only because now I want to take his question and give you a similar version. Whose voice do you hear when you read the scriptures to yourself? Now, Dr. Scalia was excellent at helping us craft our homilies later on in seminary, but he had one rule. You had to come deliver the homily to him in person before he would give you his critique. You couldn't just email it to him and then he would give you notes. Because it was important for him to hear the text in the voice and delivery of the author. That premise is no less true when it comes to authentic interpretation of the scriptures. First, whose voice do we read it in? Do we hear our own voice? Or do we hear the voice of the Lord, the voice of the author? Do we hear the Lord's message to us? Or do we treat the scriptures as a dead text? Do we feel him speaking through the scriptures? Or do we feel nothing? It's very important to read the scriptures in the voice of the author, that of God. Not that we would hear a booming voice narrating the scriptures to us. If that's what you want, Father Mike Schmitz will read you the Bible in a year. It's on every platform. It's very easy. But if you want the meaning, the message that the author has intended for you, then it's important to read it in his voice, not our own. Now, part of understanding the meaning of the author is reading the emotion inherent in the text. Often we read the scriptures, however, emotionlessly. Now, let me also clarify, I do not mean that we should make the scriptures being read at Mass into a performance. That's not at all what I'm saying. But when we hear or when we read the scriptures, we shouldn't be blind to the emotion on the page. Take, for example, one of the shortest lines in all of scripture. Jesus wept. When we read that, we know it's because his best friend is dead. And we know how the story ends. Jesus saves the day. He always does. We don't consider, though, at the time that the story was unfolding, no one knew how it was going to end, except Jesus. And even though he knew fully what he was about to do, he still allowed it to break his heart. Does our mind ever question, what is it that broke the heart of the Lord? Does our heart break for what breaks the Lord's heart? Does the emotion of the scripture even register with us when we read it? 
When we disregard the emotion on the page, we never get the full meaning of the author. So what emotion do we see in the scriptures today? The themes of urgency and anticipation. Our first reading says, in the days to come. Now, in the days to come, it says it will be a time of peace and of praise. There will be no more war, no more spears, only pruning hooks. Do not forget, however, the only reason that the scriptures give, the only reason the scriptures give for peace breaking out into the world is because everyone is oriented to praising God at the same time. It's only because our mind will be so consumed with the goodness and the awareness of the Lord that we barely even look at each other because our eyes are fixed on the Lord alone. In the days to come, meaning here are the signs of the second coming. Now, St. Paul continues the theme of urgent anticipation when he himself says, it is now the hour for you to wake up. St. Paul is trying to act as an eschatological alarm clock. He does not want anyone to be caught off guard by the second coming. Maybe, however, you're not a fan of Paul. Maybe you think he's just a second coming alarmist. Well, then let's look at the words of Jesus. So too, you must be prepared for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. The words from the mouth of the Savior himself. Be prepared. Now, do you think that Jesus may have been speaking ironically to the people he was with? He was literally the Son of Man in front of them, and they weren't prepared to recognize him. The Lord himself is asking us to prepare for the coming of the Son of Man so that we do not miss it. Now, he told the people before he came through the prophets of the Old Testament that he would be coming. Jesus explained who he was to those who would listen while he was here. And now we are asked to prepare and wait, both by Jesus and St. Paul. This Christmas in 2022, we wait and we prepare for the memorial of his coming as an infant. We do not pretend that he has not already come, nor do we treat Advent as a time where we suspend reality and deny that Jesus, the Christ, came during a very specific moment in time. What we do is give thanks for the fulfillment of the Old Testament and starting the plan of our redemption. During the first two weeks of Advent, we pray as the people of Israel did before his coming, in hopeful longing of our Savior. The second two weeks of Advent, we pray with the church in hopeful anticipation of the second coming at the end of time. The alternative names for the second coming are the parousia, that's a Greek term you can impress your friends with, the final judgment, and also the second advent. Every year we are supposed to wait in hopeful anticipation knowing that he has come. He is here with us, and he will come again. This is what Advent is, not just a time to put up Christmas lights, but a time to remember what we are supposed to be prayerfully anticipating, the second Advent of Christ in the world. So, how do we prepare in Lent? 
Sorry, Advent. It's purple, it's the same, it gets confusing. But Advent is no less spiritually fruitful, but it is absolutely less intense when it comes to sacrifice. For in Lent, we are supposed to focus on fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. In Advent, however, we are supposed to focus on some new form of prayer that we are not already currently doing. It can be as simple as reading the readings for the upcoming Sunday every day in preparation so that you can better listen to the voice of the Lord when you are here at Mass. It could be saying a decade of the rosary each day. Subsequently, I have just lost my finger rosary. It's very small and white, maybe in the walkway here somewhere. So if you see it, just give it to me after Mass. But that is what I will be doing during Advent, keeping a rosary on my finger and trying to pray an extra decade every day. It can be as simple as taking silent time for prayer each day. It can be taking time to pray as a family every day. It could be taking time to pray at all. We must do something, though. Otherwise, Christmas will be meaningless. If we do not read the scriptures with the emotion that is given, we miss a large portion of the intent of the author. If we do not prepare in Advent, then we miss a large portion of why the Lord and the church has given us this time every year. My friends, do not be unprepared, but this year instead, wake up. Figure out what it is that you are going to add during Advent so that this Christmas can be better than any other Advent or Christmas season you have experienced. That way, you will have learned the intent that the Lord wants to give you from the author of prayer himself.